0: Welcome back to the Collinsworth Podcast. Good night. As you know, if you are a podcast listener, most podcasts open with an ad read, which, which makes it six. So, not here, not now, not ever, because the Collinsworth Podcast is a podcast of the people. We open with your questions submitted via Twitter. Question number one from Keith Chapman at Keith Chap asks Do you fault the play call, Matt Ryan, or Freeman? For the strip sack? Um, probably a little bit of everything. You know, I don't uh, third and one, you know, you've got that kind of a lead and uh, I probably would have tried to run the football and take a chance on picking it up via a running game that was working pretty well. Um, and if I didn't make it, I'd punt the football, make them go the long way. It's easy to say now, I think during the game, I made that comment to you, Jack, <laughs> that I would, have, I would have not taken a chance in that situation and make them beat me the hard way. Uh, Freeman apparently missed the block. Uh, and one of the problems when you have a veteran quarterback, you expect him to not make big mistakes and to not take sacks in that kind of a situation. Um, especially when they had the situation down on the other end with the, the goal line uh, where, where they on the 21-yard line, had a chance to kick a field goal to take the 11-point lead. You know, there was no way that the Patriots could come back and win that game without incredible play, which they got from Tom Brady and multiple other people. Uh, but they also had to have mistakes by the Atlanta Falcons, and they got plenty of those too. Brett Pond. Ask the next question at Brett Pond. Rank the catches in order. Super Bowl catches. Edelman, Manningham, Tyree, and Julio Jones. tough one. Mm. Um, I thought the Tyree catch was probably the most incredible catch that I've ever seen. To have somebody like Rodney Harrison, you know, trying to peel it off your helmet. That one was off the charts <laughs> kind of a play. Um the Edelman catch was amazing because I, even when I saw the replay of it, I still thought it hit the ground and it didn't hit the ground. Uh, Manningham, I thought, was every bit as good a throw as the other one. But the Julio Jones mm-hmm. catch had me screaming. You know, I was like, what? They you know, and especially in that moment because in that moment, it looked like the Julio Jones catch. Was going to lock the game because they were it put them in field goal range, and it put them in a position to where I could have make make the argument they should have taken the knee three times instead of throwing a pass uh, because you've got to give your guy a chance to make that kick. You know, they went back to more of their no huddle offense. They even went too fast probably in the no huddle offense, but they were trying to get that offense back in a rhythm. And it did, you know, it got them jump-started, but then they just went, you know, one series too long with trying to be aggressive. Neil Pert at Get Your Denver On. He said, how many cigs, how many packs of cigs do you, do you smoke a day? How many packs <laughs> of cigs, as in cigarettes? I, I, I think as in cigarettes. I smoked one cigarette <laughs> in my entire life When I was about 12 years old, my mom who smoked, and we were talking about, my brother and I were talking about how cool it was, and so she gave us a cigarette. I'll never forget it. We were sitting on our couch. I coughed and hacked and wheezed for an hour after taking a couple of puffs off of that thing. I have never smoked another cigarette. I can't stand cigars. I don't like cigarettes. I can't stand being around to smoke. So the blunt answer would be zero. Yes, sir. Collinsworth podcast starts right now. As you were walking out of NRG Stadium, how badly did you want to be calling that game? (laughs) Well, you were walking with me, you knew I did. Um, you, you, You don't get epic very often. You know, I've been really fortunate to call some great football games in my life and play in some great football games. But that one was epic. That was one that if you watched it, if you were in the stadium, uh, if you were a fan of either team, if you're a fan even remotely of the game of football, you will never ever mm-hmm. forget that game. Because as strange as it sounded, even at twenty at twenty one to three at halftime, I don't think anybody thought it was over. Even at twenty eight to three, you were still thinking of, okay, what would it take here? for them to get back in it. Um, and only because Tom Brady was on the other side and Bill Belichick, did you even remotely give this thing a chance of, of a comeback. And when they scored the first touchdown and then got the, um, the sack fumble, I can remember. I I think the tweet that I sent out was, "uh Oh, because you could just feel it. You know, you could feel it. And, and, all, yep. all the speed that we saw out of the Falcons defense uh, in the first half of that game that, that really shut down like Garrett Blunt and the running game of, of uh, the New England Patriots. You don't think about speed shutting down a power running back, but it was all the quick movements inside by Grady Jarrett and Vic Beasley and, and uh, Dwight Freeney and then. Deion Jones from the linebacker position just looked like a blur the whole game. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the game, I can remember watching Dwight Freeney coming off the field on the sideline after you know their 94th play or whatever it was. And he's just bent over huffing and puffing and, and trying to catch his breath. And it was, they just ran out of gas. I mean, they finally broke their spirit just by running out of gas after having to defend 90 something plays in that game, typically in an NFL game, if you get up towards 70, that's a lot. Well, they defended at least another quarter, quarter and a half, maybe two quarters worth of football for the Falcons and it was too much. It down 28 to three, 830 left in the, in the third quarter. They're going up against the league's highest scoring offense and the Atlanta Falcons down 25 points. And think think about the pieces that they that they orchestrated this comeback with. Julio Jones or, or excuse me. Julian Edelman, seventh round draft pick. Chris Hogan, undrafted, Danny Amadola, undrafted, LeGarrette Blunt, undrafted, Malcolm Mitchell, fourth rounder, James White, another fourth rounder, Deion Lewis, fifth rounder, Tom Brady, sixth round draft pick. Of course, how was Brady able to do it with no size, no real speed? at the receiver position. It's pretty pretty remarkable across the board, isn't it? Yeah, it was. And you think of this team, you think of the magic that they can do with Gronkowski and Martellus Bennett in there together. You think of how great Chris Hogan had been in the past, uh, in the the game prior. And you think of Julian Edelman in Super Bowls and the plays that that he's come up with. Um, And so often, in my mind, I thought Garrett Blunt would have a huge game in this one. He did not had the fumble early on. Deion Lewis, I said, okay, well, maybe it turns into that sort of a quicker kind of running game. But it was James White. And I think one of the things that you have to give the Patriots credit for is that despite the fact that two of their stars, I mean, Garrett Blunt did not play particularly well, and Nate Solder did not play particularly well at the uh, at the left tackle position. But they come up with a guy that they – throw into pure passing situations and James White. And a guy like Marcus Cannon, who on the right tackle position wasn't that great a year ago, kind of the guy that Sebastian Vollmer, you really wish that he was back in there, but Marcus Cannon played a great game. I know for a fact the Falcons were going after Joe Tooney, the left guard, and he was a guy that held up and played really well in that game. So in true Patriot fashion, not only did they get greatness from the quarterback position, but they got it from some of those unknown guys and James White kind of stole the show. You know, it was Tom Brady was holding the ball because of the man coverage longer than he's used to holding it. They were working very hard to take away those throws in the middle of the field that he loves to the Mm -hmm. Amendola's and the Julian Edelman's. They took those away, and so he held the ball, and he was getting sacked, and he was getting hit. And then it was James White, who Tom Brady finally found a rhythm with, that he finally was able to get that guy to just make some quick throws out of the backfield, just let him make catches and runs, make somebody miss. But it was something about that combination that got Brady back on track because he was missing throws in the first half. But that seemed Mm -hmm. to settle this team down, and it just kept adding up. Even though there weren't the big plays in this game on the offense, the sheer number of plays, you think about body punches and boxing, and you go, oh, it's not impressive, it's not impressive. And all of a sudden in the rounds nine, 10, 11, and 12, the other guy doesn't look like the guy we saw in rounds one, two, three, and four. And I think that's exactly what happened. Uh, To that point, too, I'm not a a huge stats guy, not a huge numbers guy, but I think these numbers matter. Left tackle, Nate Solder, gave up a ludicrous 10 quarterback pressures throughout the first 37 minutes of the game. First 37 minutes didn't look real good for the Patriots. But at that eight-minute 31 second mark in the third quarter. Brady had been under pressure 14 of 32 drops, 43.8% of those. Now, he's averaging in the 14 prior games this season 30.5, so it about 13%. But uh, to your point here, not all offensive line, because Brady was holding the ball. is sitting all over those crossing routes that he loves. So at that 8-minute, 30-second mark, Brady's release time, 2.67 seconds. I know that you love this when you start talking about quarterback play. So that's, that's from his average, which is 2.54. That's up. 2.67 is what he was at that 8-minute, 30-second mark. I think, I think that, again, the crossing routes play a factor there. But now let the comeback begin. On the final 38 dropbacks to close out the game, Brady's time to throw was 2.43 seconds. Averaging per drop back. So the big misses holding the ball started to disappear for Brady towards the end of the game. Now with the ability to get the ball out quicker, sustained drives, as you said, the Falcons became gassed. They managed to get pressure on only six of thirty-eight dropbacks to end the game on the last fifteen pass attempts for Brady at the end. There was not a single pressure. The dudes were just worn out, weren't they? Yeah, and when you think about it, think about it from uh, the defensive lineman's position, from a Dwight Freeney, from a Vic Beasley's position. Here you are, you've already played a full season or a full game's worth of sacks, right? You're probably at the, the 70s snap mark sometime in, at the end of the third quarter. And you don't really realize it, but your body is starting to slow down. Now, as you're coming off the ball, snap after snap, and trying to make a quick move on that offensive lineman, Brady is getting the ball out quicker and quicker. So what's your answer? Now you start doing things that, that like, you're trying to bull rush and you're trying to just run through the guy. And all of a sudden, those quick little release moves that you have working against that tackle... Uh, your, your, your timing has been sped up to the point where you're not doing the same moves that you were in the first half, and you're a half step slower because you're so exhausted at that point in the game. So it's just this perfect storm of things that come together that ultimately leads to a real frustration for that defensive line and the pass rush, and that's when the entirety of the game changed. All right, we are on to our headlines section, Dad. The headlines portion of the podcast is pretty simple. I'm going to read you a headline. You tell me if it is genius or if it is moronic and why. Why or why not? Okay. What do you think? Here we go. Headline number one. Let me give you a little setup on this one. So Mark Wahlberg, Boston guy, Bostonian through and through, right? Left the game and he left the game early. And so he said on Instagram after the game, Posts a picture left right around that third quarter. I had to leave the game early because my youngest son wasn't feeling well. Trust me, would have loved to be at the stadium, but family first. Doesn't mean I don't love my Patriots. I remember what that third quarter looked like. Headline reads, Mark Wahlberg, Super Bowl story is as real as Trump's hair. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You buying it or not? uh, I you know, I I am never, anybody that says that he did something for his kids, I'm never going to deny it. And I've always thought that, you know. Soft, I, soft spot, man. You've got a soft I, spot for I, the kids. I, I wish, I, you know, I hope at age, whatever Donald Trump is, my hair looks that good. So I, I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds political as expected. Whoever stole Tom Brady's jersey, headline number two, unbelievable to begin with should serve life in prison five times in a row. Hard to argue. Yeah, I'm going for the death penalty. <laughs> Just end it. Because whoever, whoever was in that locker room that took that, you, you're better off, there's, there's no way. Once you get caught, and they will get caught, somebody will eventually mm-hmm. figure out exactly who did that. Your life will not be worth living at that point. That you could be so slow to take this epic game and the guy's jersey and the fifth Super Bowl and this record setting performance of, of just unbelievable proportions and you could be so slow or so low down to take that man's jersey out of his bag. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, yep. you know, you don't want to be in a jail cell in anywhere near the Boston area and be known as that guy. <laughs> Trust me, you don't want to be that guy. That's as bad as it gets. Headline number three. Matt Patricia, New England, New England Patriots defensive coordinator, will regret wearing a Goodell clown t-shirt. He won't regret it today. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what happened, but I know Matt Patricia really well. Matt Patricia is one of my favorite people in the National Football League, and I I haven't talked to him yet. I'm going to guess that that was some sort of a season-long promise to the players on his team that if somehow they won the Super Bowl, that he would agree to do something that would make him uncomfortable, that... I, I just think there's more to that story. I don't know what it is. I don't, okay. I don't know how it came about. But Matt Patricia is one of the smartest guys that has ever coached in the National Football League. And whatever led to that, I think there's more to the story. I'm just going to leave it at that. It, it, it's, it's a Barstool t-shirt. Let's, let's get that clear. I don't know if there was a bigger winner at Super Bowl 51 maybe other than Tom Brady, than Barstool Sports. It is a Barstool t-shirt. Maybe he's getting a percentage to wear a Barstool t-shirt getting off that plane. I don't know. I don't know. Headline number four. What, you still, you got, you got more to add there? Add it. I was just going to say, if they Barstool Sports took away one of the best punters in the National Football League and got Matt Patricia to wear that shirt, I need to hire all their marketing people. Good luck, man. It's getting more and more expensive. For nearly two decades, headline number four, Tom Brady, 17 years has dominated the hardest sport in the world to dominate. Um, Is that true or false? That's tough. It's tough. It's a headline, man. It's either genius or moronic. I I think that's true. I, I think that's true. I agree. And you know, what's, what's really interesting about Tom, and, you know, he may not talk about it to the extent, maybe he has, I don't know, but this whole TB12, whatever it is that, that he's doing, he really thinks he has cracked the code on staying young, and, and one of his big things is talking about not only the food, the nutrition, you know, he, he's a, like a pure diet kind of guy. But he thinks everybody who is lifting weights as a football player has everything completely backwards. That instead of trying to lift all those weights and, sh- and shorten muscles, that you should be doing everything you can, obviously you gotta get stronger, but the exercises should be about lengthening the muscles, stretching them out, okay. and he has this whole formula. He thinks he's gonna to play to 45, 46 years old, and he's not joking. He thinks legitimately that's what he's going to do. And if he does, TB12 is going to be worth about $100 billion, and he's going to be the next president of the United States, which I understand the odds of the next election for Tom Brady are already at about 100 to 1. And it's only a matter if he's still playing football or not. I'm with you. Listen, how, how, many, how many times can you remember in any kind of sport – where somebody has been this unanimously accepted as the the word that everyone loves now is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. How, How many other guys can you recall? Jordan, people still love to argue with it. Really, really the two that I can really think of, maybe the three. Usain Bolt, similar domination. Michael Phelps, domination like this. Wayne Gretzky, maybe. Who else can you think of? Babe Ruth, but nobody would have thought to call him a goat at the time. Okay, but you know yeah. Babe Ruth was he was he was a hitter and a pitcher, so you couldn't be much more dominant than what he was. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, Wilt Chamberlain, maybe in the heyday, might have been in that category. Bill, Bill Russell, Russell won all the championships, so there there's been a few. But you know, I I think that what happened in this game, you know, when when we were all sort of ready for the coronation, right? We're talking about this is possibly the greatest team of all time, possibly the greatest coach of all time, possibly the greatest quarterback of all time, possibly the greatest owner of all time. And that was the conversation all week. And I can remember thinking, this has to be, for the Atlanta Falcons, the greatest fuel that there could ever be. They're talking about, in a you know, this was a three-point spread. I mean, even for Las Vegas, knew it was going to be a close game. And all anybody's talking about is this coronation of this franchise and coach and owner and quarterback. And then they come out, and they're down 28-3. to three. And I'm sure there were people giggling a little bit. Like, yeah, we showed them. We got them. And then all of a sudden... That greatness was personified in one human being, and that was Tom Brady. That in this game when nobody would have possibly dreamt that there was the remotest possibility that that team could come back and win under that kind of pressure in this Super Bowl, the reason that people watching the game stayed tuned and didn't leave the stadium for the most part was because one guy was playing for the New England Patriots. And it was number 12, Tom Brady. And when you reach that level, just to have that thought permeating the the thought process of people in the stadium and in the conversations I was having, it was all about Tom Brady. Could he possibly do this? And then for him to have the fifth Super Bowl championship down 28 to three, against that really good football team, and for him to actually do it and have to do it on a final drive at the end of regulation and have to do it in the first drive of overtime on the 90-something play and to go from playing poorly in the first half to what he did in the second half, that's how you begin to define or at least make the point or the argument that he is the greatest of all time. I love it. I, I, I was going to ask you headline number five. It read, James White should have been the Super Bowl 51 MVP. I think you just answered it. He absolutely should not have, correct? Should not have. I mean, it, to me, it, For, was, it, it wasn't even close. I, I think quarterbacks sometimes get too much credit and too much blame. But you cannot, right. you cannot imagine anybody but Tom Brady that's currently playing maybe Aaron Rodgers, uh, even remotely having the chance of doing what Tom Brady did in that game. Plus, the throws, when you go back and look at those throws, a lot of them were to the wide, you know, to the wide outs. He was throwing, he was getting up over top of those throws. He was throwing them downhill. They were hitting these guys around the waistline so they could catch it and run it. It was just one after another after another. And, and, and the one that took my breath away was the, game, was the play before the touchdown run by James White to end it. They tried to throw the fade into the corner of the end zone. And I think it was Deion Jones, 45. And I, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he has a chance to intercept that. And you wonder if Deion Jones in the first half with fresh legs and that same chance of the ball would have made that play that he couldn't make on the 94th or 93rd play, whatever it was at that point. Mm-hmm. He- headline six goes away from the Super Bowl. Tony Romo. Spent, Spent some, some time t- with Tony Romo this weekend. Yes, For the record, good. I love that guy. <laughs> Me too. Prayed, Prayed before morning. dinner. We-, we sat there before dinner and he kind of stopped and he looked around the table and my fork was halfway in my mashed potatoes and he's like put your forks down set a prayer before dinner it was just he's just a, just a good guy and he kind of his his whole mantra is it's never about his success it's about the success of the people around him and it's his friends it's his it's it's, it's crazy when you when you watch him and when you're around him how much he tries to take care uh, of everybody else pretty cool okay headline 6 tony romo best option in 2017 is the Houston, Texas, Super Bowl City. Um, I think you can make several options. Uh, you know I, uh, that's certainly a good option with the way they can play defense there. and they've got talented wide receivers as well. Um, right. I, I think you can make a very strong case in the same way for the Denver Broncos. Uh, exact same formula. defense, wide receivers. You know, I, I think you can make a very strong case there. Um, you never know. A team like the New York Jets, you know, could possibly there's a big market. They're down on their team. Could they make a, some kind of a bold move? Could Tony try to go out on Broadway? I, you know, there, there's a lot of different possibilities. Um I have to tell you, I I, I like Tony Romo the way you like Tony Romo. I have great respect for him. The last time I saw Tony in the offseason, I legitimately tried to talk him out of playing anymore. Uh, As you know, your brother Austin has a bad back from playing at Notre Dame, and I've seen how Mm -hmm. tough that can be on people. And I, I wanted him to really fully understand you know, I get it. He doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. He wants to take another shot at that thing. So do I. Unfortunately, I'm 58 years old. It's not likely to happen. But, mm-hmm. you know, is it worth it? You've got money. You've got a beautiful wife. You've got a great life. You can do anything in the world you want to do. People all love them. They, they respect him. They're going to want them to work in television. They're going to want them to work for teams. They're going to want them to do all kinds of things. But if at the end of this process he hurts that back again and he has to have yet another surgery and he has some of the pain that we've seen from Austin and he can't pick up his kids and he can't play golf, is a chance at a Super Bowl ring really worth that kind of risk? And I laid it out to him pretty bluntly. And I said, I really want you to think about this, you know, whether or not this is the right thing, not just for you, but for your family. And you know, I think he was appreciative of the conversation but I, I don't believe he's going to quit. I think that he's, he's going to take one more shot at it. I like that. We have, we have two, two more headlines to round out the Collinsworth podcast. Here we go. Roger Goodell, he, he had to take a, take a lot of booing to, to get those words out, to hand over that Super Bowl trophy there at the end of the game. The headline reads, Goodell should have handed the MVP trophy to Mr. Tom Brady. Well, I know this. He shook his hand. And he, Tom Brady was gentleman enough to stick out his hand, despite what I'm sure some tough feelings there. He, he, kind, he, kind, of gave him, he kind of gave him the Trump handshake. Have you seen the Trump handshake? When you just pull him in real tight. Yeah. He kind of pulled him in tight. Yeah, he kind, he kind of trumped him a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And I think Brady thought for a second about whether he was going to stick his hand out, but he's a classy guy and it didn't surprise me that he did. Um, And I don't know what the protocol was there. I don't know if the commissioner typically hands the MVP trophy to uh, the MVP or not. If he, if he did in the past, he should have again. Uh, If I had been advising the commissioner when this thing first started the very first Patriots game after I had made the decision that I was going to suspend Tom Brady, I would have gone to the next Patriots game. Uh, I would have walked out on the field. I would have taken it all then. I would not have ever let anybody think that I was backing down in any way. So that's the way I would have handled it. Um, And so eventually he's gonna have to go to a Patriots game, right? I mean, there's no way around that. And, um, and I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be on opening day when we are Thursday night next, next, uh, September when Al Michaels and I, God willing, are sitting in the booth and I'm going to guess that's when the commissioner is going to be there. And it's going to be just as bad, if not worse then uh, than it, you know, would have been at any point in the process. So I'm always one to want to get it out of the way. I like it. Final headline. It's Atlanta related. I honestly, I feel bad for the good people of Atlanta, Georgia. I sat next to one of them at the airport right after the game. He was was just about as as speechless uh, as it gets. He was trying to. He kept saying, "I'm just trying to smile, man." I, I think we've, as Bengals fans, we've seen, or at least as a Bengal fan for me, you as a former player, I've seen, I've seen those brutal losses. It's rough, but the headline says, in the next three seasons, Atlanta will return to the Super Bowl. Um, I, I think they should that, that's, a, that's a good looking team and it is a um, and Matt Ryan's still young enough and Julio Jones is still young enough and Tevin Coleman and uh, Taylor Gabriel and Mohamed Sanu and that defense is young and fast I mean it, it's hard for me to say that they won't be the favorite to win the Super Bowl next year, despite, you know, the comeback and what happened to them in this game. Because if you weren't impressed with the Atlanta Falcons and what they did in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl until the, obviously the, the, you know, the last sort of uh, 20, 25 minutes of that game, if you weren't impressed, you were watching something else. So I think they built it. I think they have the right formula there. Uh, they they have the MVP coming back at the quarterback position, two tremendous running backs, a young fast defense. I think they're going to be right in the thick of things, if not the favorite for next year. Okay, I have two two yes or no ones on the way out as we wrap this as we wrap this podcast here. Two two quick yes or no ones. After Super Bowl fifty one, do you think the Patriots should trade a banged up Rob Gronkowski or no? I would never say you shouldn't trade him, period, because you'd have to tell me what's in the deal. I just think Rob right. I think Rob Gronkowski is truly one of the the great game changers in the National Football League. I mean he is just an amazing athlete. And the fact that the Patriots won the Super Bowl without him, to me is borderline remarkable. I mean he is such a key component of that flexibility of the offense to go in tight with tight ends but at the same time the ability to go flank them out and make people play that guy in space which is nearly impossible Uh, so I'm sure it was a little humbling for Rob to see his team win a Super Bowl without him Uh, but uh, would I trade him it would take a pretty good haul for me to trade him yeah I hear you episode two in the books man it's 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 fun podcasting with you my friend I never thought I would hear the words, it's fun podcasting with you, Dad, but uh, I got to agree with you. Now that I know what a podcast is, I'm feeling good about it, and I've been having fun, and look forward to doing it again.